Father, we thank you so much this morning that we get to gather in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we come to you because we need the presence of God. We need you to show up and we need, well, actually what we need to do is we need to show up in a way that we are aware that you're here. And I ask, Lord God, that your presence would begin to rectify, heal, restore the things in us, Lord, that are destroying us, that are binding us, that are weakening us. I pray, Lord, today that you would help us to learn to walk in step with you, that our life might always be inhabited by the presence of our Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. Great job, worship team, right? They did a good job, didn't they? Nice. Very nice. I like fired up Christmas songs. They're a little harder to find than you might imagine. Poor Steve. I don't tell him, I, like, I don't give him a lot of instruction. I just say, hey, be fun. That's all I say. And uh, he does a great job with it. And so does the worship team. So, how's everybody doing? Are you, are you okay? You don't know what to say, do you? You think it's a trap, don't you? You think it's a trap. Maybe it is. We'll never know. (laughs) I don't know how you guys approach the holidays. I usually, I am a a planner. Uh, I think strategically. God laughs a lot at me and my plans. And uh, so, you know, I come at the holidays. I even counsel people, you know, be realistic. Plan what you can actually do. Get ahead of family drama. Do you guys have any dramatic people in your family? I, I mean, not me, of course, but just not at all. And so I always counsel people, you know, get ahead of the drama queen. Talk to them early. Make them mad right away. Uh, oh, no, that's not what I say. But as we come into Christmas and, uh, and as we start the series, and the idea of this is, okay, I'm going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to, no matter what happens, we're going we're gonna to get through this, and we're not going to be alone. And here's why. I don't know how God works with you, but God has a plan, and I have a plan. He never shows me his plan until it's happening, okay? Uh, and then I figure out, oh, God's doing something else, okay? Now, you can fight God's power. You can fight God's will, you can fight it, and all it will do is make you stressed. All it will do is create anxiety in your life, it will create uh, conflict in your home and in, within yourself. Or you can learn how to be okay with a God who knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. Okay, That's what this series is about. We're going to look at some stories, we're going to look at some of these stories from several different angles over the next few weeks. And uh, we're going to look at some stories where someone had to come to a point of being okay. Now, here's what I need from you for this to work. I need you to go with me into these passages. I need you to fire up that imagination and see them and live them and put yourselves in the shoes of these historical people, these real people who lived through some things that I think are difficult. A lot of times when we go through the Christmas story, we look at what's happening and we don't think of how hard it would be to do what these people did. So what we're going to do is climb into some of these stories. We're going to start with some people who had a plan. Now, some of you maybe are not planners. Maybe you like just roll with it. That's awesome. I love you. 
Stop picking on me. Um, some of you have a plan. You have an image, at least an expectation of what's going to happen over the next several weeks as we get into and move into Christmas, what it's going to be like at church, what it's going to be like in your family. And you're probably going to face some disappointments. Some things aren't going to go the way that you wanted. So let's get together and let's think about how we can move to a place of being okay with God walking us through our challenges. So let's start with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, They're an older couple. I don't exactly know how old. I just know that they are beyond childbearing years, however old that was at that point in history. And the Bible says in Zechariah 1.6, I mean in Luke 1.6, Zechariah is in the Old Testament, uh, but you can look that up some other time. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, uh, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children. Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay, so now you're introduced to this couple. They love God. They trust God. They wanted a family. Everybody at that point in history wanted a family. But they couldn't have children. And so now they're older. And their dreams of children have long since died. They have moved on from the, they have likely moved on from the idea of being parents to now they're just going to be the, the, the adults who don't have children and that's how they're going to navigate their senior years. So Zacharias is doing his job because that's what you do when your dreams get shattered. You just keep putting one foot in front of another and you try to survive. And that's what Zechariah is doing. He's doing his job. He's a priest in the temple, and he's offering incense in the temple. He's there before the the veil, offering up the incense, which symbolized the the prayers of the people. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. If you went to work tomorrow and there was an angel at your desk, it might get your attention. That's all I'm saying. I don't know if you'd shake with fear. I think you would because I think angels are intimidating. Uh, But anyway, so he's standing. He goes to work, does his thing. He's offering the incense, and there's an angel at work that day, and it disturbs him greatly, okay? The angel spoke to him. Don't be afraid. This is usually the first expression out of an angel's mouth. Don't be afraid. Too afraid to hear what he has to say. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John, and you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Sounds like good news. I don't know. He's old. Maybe he's, I don't know. It sounds like, though, that what's happening is that at that incense altar where he's offering up incense to symbolize the prayers of the people, that he had one of his own thrown in there probably several times before. And that prayer was, God, give us a child. Give us a son. And it hadn't been answered. Now the angel shows up and, hey, good news. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a child. And then Zachariah, this shows you how dead his dream was. What happens right next is what shows you how dead his dream was. Zechariah is looking at an angel, a herald from heaven, one of the newscasters from heaven, who's telling him what's going to happen. And Zechariah's first words out of his mouth are, how can I be sure this will happen? <laughs> I'm old and my wife is not as old, but you know, old is too. 
How are you going to do this? Maybe not a good idea to ask the angel how. Maybe better to just say, all right, let's go. We'll look at a case where that happens later. Look what the angel does. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. He's the one who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you open your big dumb mouth, I think that was the, the Greek. <clears throat> if you didn't believe what I said, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And this began the most peaceful pregnancy of any woman's <laughs> existence. <clears throat> <laughs> I think Zachariah and Elizabeth had an expectation for their life. There are prayers that we pray that we want, we desire, but we don't believe. We don't think they'll come true. We may even keep praying them, but they don't have any real faith mixed with them sometimes. And, and faith isn't something you can work up. Faith that God has a way of taking our requests and, and bringing faith to them when they're needed. I think Zachariah and Elizabeth, especially Zachariah, had moved on. I think they'd given up on the dream. I think they had moved from, okay, we want to be parents, to, okay, let's figure out how to be retired and enjoy that part of our lives. I think they had moved from a plan that involved a family to a plan that had just involved them. They wanted children. They never came. But you should also notice this. They were always faithful. Even though God did not answer their prayer, they didn't get mad at God. They didn't just walk away from God because God had not answered their prayer. And I say that because that is the norm today. God doesn't do what we want. We say, well, there must not be a God, or God doesn't care about me, or he isn't involved in our lives. That's not what they did at all. They said, God's good. They knew God was good. They had a, a history, a legacy as a nation, as a people, and as a family that God was good. So they knew God was good. They just didn't have their child yet. So I think they had moved on. They had planned it. I think the dream was, was dead. Now, I think it was so dead that when Gabriel, who, come, who stands in the very presence of God, says, hey, I have news from the Father directly for you, and Zechariah comes back with, how do I know that's true? One, that's an insult. I mean, you, you, when an angel gives you news, if it's, if it's an angel from the presence of God, there, there are other ones, but if it's an angel from the presence of God, you accept that word... And you move in that, you live in that, you breathe in that. And that's Zachariah's faith was so dead about the issue that he didn't know what to do. I think Zechariah teaches us that when God gives us something through his word, through the ministry of a friend, through uh, teaching, through preaching, those kind of things, that the best thing to do is praise God for it. And if you can't praise God, then it's better to shut up <laughs> than complain or ask how. Because God is good. I'm not very smart, but God is good. And maybe, just because I don't know how doesn't mean it can't be done. So this is the first story. Zachariah and Elizabeth, I think, had a plan. I, didn't think it was, I don't think it was the plan they wanted, but I think it's the plan they accepted. And I think a lot of people are living that today. They're living a plan that they feel like, well, this is as good as I'm, it's going to get. This is all I have, so I'm going to live this. And so that plan got interrupted. So then we move on to Joseph. We'll come back and tie this together in a minute. Joseph. The Bible says in Matthew 118, 
This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. (coughs) Please excuse me. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So we took him in and climbed into Zechariah and Elizabeth's shoes. Let's climb into Joseph's. Getting married today is easy compared to what it was then. To be a young man who sought a bride, you had to prove yourself. You didn't just go out, uh, fool some girl into liking you. Not that any of you did that, like me. Um, and, And then get married. You had to prove to her dad, who from the very beginning did not like you, by the way, because no girl's dad likes you, even if you've been married for 34 years, 35 years. Um. So you had to prove that you could take care of a man's daughter. You had to pay a bride price. You had to invest in her because her father invested in her. And so you had to prepare. You had to have your business in order. You had to have your house in order. Joseph was not marrying Mary. This wasn't some kind of trip to Vegas weekend deal. This was years of preparation. Joseph had a dream. He was going to marry this girl, Mary. I didn't know how to say Mary, Mary. It sounds like a song from the 70s. He was going to marry her, and then he was going to open up NazarethCarpenter.com and make his living, you know, carry on with his life. He had a plan. And then God had another plan, a more important plan. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph to get the news from Mary that she was pregnant. I mean, <clears throat> that would hurt, especially in that culture, because in that culture, it was incredibly uh, shameful. I mean, there were co- major consequences to what was going on. But Joseph had a plan. God had a plan. God's plan overcame Joseph's plan. God said, hey, Joseph, you're going to be stepdad to my son. Don't lose him. And he did. When he was 12, then he got him back. And so I bet that was a really stressful time. No pressure raising the son of God, right? I mean, there's no books. There's no YouTube channel, how to raise God's son. There isn't one of those. Um, But that's what Joseph was called to do. And you got to hand it to him. He stepped up to the plate. Stepped up to the plate, gave the rest of his life to raising God's son. By the time Jesus is an adult, Joseph has passed away, we assume. And so Joseph had a plan. God had a plan. They didn't meet. Mary had a plan. Luke's 126. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, I guess he had a busy year that year, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. 
Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, two words you never want to put on a woman, Mary trying to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. I bet Mary had a plan. I bet big wedding was the plan. I've never met a young woman who didn't want a big wedding to celebrate that day, to celebrate what it meant to her, what it meant to enter into a covenant with, a, with someone who would covenant to love and stay with her. I bet Mary had a plan. I bet it was a plan she'd worked on and dreamed of her entire life. And I think that her reaction to the angel is an incredible, an incredible statement of the character of this young woman. That instead of immediately grieving and, and losing it over what she was going to lose, she just trusted. Unlike Zechariah, how are you going to do this? Shut up. Mary's like, whatever you say, I'm good. I'm with you. Mary was the first one who was okay like that. She was the only one who was okay like that. Joseph had issues. Zachariah had issues. Mary's like, okay, we'll do this. She had a plan. God had a plan. Do you remember the story, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Maybe, maybe you've seen it. Maybe you're going to watch it today. I don't know. There's a line in it from George Bailey. And he says, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Do you remember that scene? Do you remember that line? Do you remember how it turned out? He knew exactly what he was going to do and he didn't do any of it. That's how we are sometimes. We know exactly what we're going to do. We have our plan. We have our life plan. We have our business plan, our retirement plan, our family plan. We have, we know we're going to do, if, if you're not one of those super planners, you at least have these expectations in your mind. You know what you're going to do, but you're not God. God has a plan and it's going to supersede your plan. You live in a world that opposes you and wants to wreck your plan anyway, and God's going to somehow intervene in all of this and carry you through all of that chaos in a way that's far beyond your wildest expectations. So we all have expectations. We all have plans. And it's this way, at Christmas, we need to take the time to realize it's not bad to have plans. We have plans throughout all the Bible. What's bad is when we hold on to our plans... And are unwilling to work with a God who knows what's best for us. That's what we have to remember. How do we get from, I have a plan, I'll do it my way, to, okay, God, we'll do it your way. How do we move from one place to the other? Because God sometimes wrecks our plans. I was on the phone this week with Patrick Klein who is the leader of uh, Vision Beyond Borders, a mission group in Wyoming, talking to him about how we can help them. What Vision Beyond Borders does is basically <laughs> they're smugglers for Jesus. 
Does that sound cool or what? <laughs> they carry scriptures, the gospel, pamphlets, whatever they can, into communist countries, Pakistan, Vietnam. He was telling me a story about Vietnam just a few weeks ago. They took mission teams in, people pay to do this. Christians pay the money for the trip, to travel, all these kind of things. Hop a plane, go to a country that doesn't want them there. <laughs> they get visas, they do it legally, but they go and they hand out things that they're not supposed to have in that place. Mainly the Bible. You should wonder why the world hates the Bible so much. It should help you understand how important it is. And so they go hand these out. And so I'm having him come in January. January 8th, Patrick Klein's going to be here and share with us the ministry, what he's doing, and, and likely some of the awesome stories. I asked him, I said, well, so have you ever had any mission groups like, I don't know, not come back? He goes, well, we had a group that got put in jail for 10 days. I'm like, ah, that would really mess with my plan. Because <laughs> like, uh, this is how I would take a mission trip, because I've taken a few before. I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave on Sunday after church. And I'm going to go over to this country and I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm be back the next Sunday after church. That's my plan. Ten days in jail would not be in my plan. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Uh, and it, so, you know, I'm like, I don't think I could do that. And he goes, you know, the people who went through these kinds of things, they come back with their faith in a whole different level understanding of where they are. I, I share that with you because... God might have a better plan for your life. Here's the standard American dream plan. You graduate from high school by the skin of your teeth if you're like most of us. You go to college, get that degree, or you go to your tech school, get your certification, whatever it is. You get prepared for your life. You go out and you find a job. You begin working or you start a business, however you do it. Then you, you meet someone and you hope they're the one forever and you get married and you want that forever to be, and so you, you stay together, you have kids, you put 20, 30 years of your life into kids, depending on how they are raised. And uh, then they move out, you're empty nesters, and you get to enjoy, and hopefully your kids will have grandkids, and you can have the kids that you wanted in the first place. <laughs> and you invest in those grandkids, and... Then you save all this while you're putting money away, and, and then, and of course, the government's taking it away, and then you retire. And then you get to do what you want for the last five years of your life, which is go to the hospital. And so, that's the American way. It's kind of stupid if you say it like that, but that's kind of how it works. What if God has another plan? What if God's plan for you is to, instead of just live out the American dream and, and then retire and hit golf balls or watch westerns until you die, uh, what if he wants you to go help some church get started in Indiana, Jamaica, Mexico? What, what if he wants you to, to go and get Bibles into the hands of the Chinese who are the, right now their camera system is so intense that there's absolutely no way that a Chinese person can walk down the street without being recognized at this point in history in artificial intelligence identifying them and so forth the chinese christians are dealing with unbelievable pressure right now or maybe he wants you to go to the middle east and serve there in camps or help refugees or help people what if god plan for you does involve golf balls and tvs and trips around the country 
What if God's plan for you is different? Are you okay with that? What if, what if, well, let's back it up. You know, I'm, I'm not just talking to retirees. Uh, let's talk to you, you millennials and, and whatever the generation is that your kids are. I, I can't remember. There's so many names for the generations. What if God's plan isn't for you to, to go to college, get the tech degree, start the amazing career, and, and give 45, 50 years of your life to a conglomeration of companies? What if God's plan for you is to, to live by faith a little bit? What if God has a different plan? What if God's way and your way are not the same way? Would you be okay with that? See, that's what this is about. Are you okay with God being God in your life? Because if God can't call an audible on your life, you don't actually have a God. That's right. You're your own God who goes to church and practices religion and lets God influence your life, but you're the one who makes all the decisions. Now, I know that's scary. Oh, do I know. In 1994, I had surrendered to the ministry when I was 13, but I was like, I take it back (laughs) from age 16 to 23. And God got a hold of me. I surrendered to the ministry, which is something I did not want to do at the time. And I surrendered, and God made me a pastor within 12 months of this little church in Zenith, Missouri. There was about 20 people in the church. That was my first church. I thank God it was a small church because I really ruined those people. I don't know. I was not any good at what I did. I could rant and rave even better then than I can now, but I did not understand grace and mercy as I do today. And, and we served in that church for two, almost two years, and then God moved us to this other church, and we served there for four years. And our third year into that church, God said, I want you to be a missionary. And I'm like, well, that's nice. What does that even mean? He goes, I want you to go to Colorado and plant churches. And I'm like, plant churches? <laughs> Every time I tell someone, well, I'm a church planter, they go, what? Yeah, you put a seed in the ground, people show up. It's crazy. Anyway, so we, we packed up our kids. I wish I had a photo to show you on the screen of our, all of our stuff on the back of a flatbed 18-wheeler trailer. It looked like a 2000 version of the Beverly Hillbillies. I'm not kidding, man. Really. There was even a rocking chair in the bed of my truck because I had a pickup truck that was on the back. There's even a rock. I could have sat in it, drove across Kansas. Of course, they'd have lost me somewhere along the way. That might have been better for everyone involved. But still, that was, I have pictures of it. It's, it's something else. We did that. We left everything we knew. I mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt. Grew up a Southern Baptist where they, like, they wear Southern like it's, it's really important to be Southern when you're Southern. Then we moved out west, and we planted a church in Otis, Colorado, population 450 people. Planted and built a church there. Why? I'll tell you why. When I surrendered to God, this is what I said. I'll do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. That's what I'll do. That's how I surrendered. You say, well, that's really brave. That was the only way I knew to do it. 
The way I understood God is surrender was surrender. And you only surrendered all or you never really surrendered anything. So God showed up in this church that we had that was growing. It was exciting. Things were cool. And God said, okay, you're done here. Now you're going to go where nobody wants you. Nobody likes you. They're going to call you. They, <laughs> they called me a cult leader. I'm not kidding. In Otis, Colorado. I'm planning a church. And they, they called me a cult leader in that little community. Because I wasn't Lutheran or Catholic. And um, I did that because God said go. I don't know what God has for you. You don't know what God has for you. Or maybe you do. But here's the question. Are you okay with it? Are you okay with God being God in your life? See, that's what Christmas is about. Because do you know what happened to Mary? Mary became the example of what Christianity would be forever. The Holy Spirit came upon her. Does that remind you of Acts 2? Where the Holy Spirit came upon the church. What did the Holy Spirit do? He impregnated her. She became pregnant with God's Son. What was her job from that point on? The Holy Spirit came upon her. She became impregnated with God's Son. And her job was to bring God's Son into the world. Isn't that exactly what the church is here to do? Aren't we supposed to be filled with God? Filled with God's Spirit in such a way that God's Son is birthed into our families, into our workplaces, into our community, into wherever God sends us. Our job is to be a Mary and to bring Jesus into a dark, broken, shattered place. Does that make sense? So God has a plan. And I know his plan is to bring Jesus into your world. The question is, what part of the world will you be in when he does it? Why? Why does God work like this? Why doesn't God call you up? Hey, uh, hey, Tommy, I got a plan for your life. I'd like to chat it over with you, see if it's okay with you. First of all, it would scare the britches off of us. Do you know what britches are? Okay, good deal. First of all, to know that God had thought about us enough to have a plan for our life would just shock us. But he does. Second of all, to know that God has this plan that's so much larger than we could ever imagine, that would scare us. So God doesn't call us up. God just walks in and he invades our life and he begins to show us what his plan is for us and begin to do these things. So why does he do it? So I'm trying to get to the scriptures I want to read. Ah. He does it because God wants to walk in relationship with you. God doesn't want to walk in religion with you. God doesn't want to walk in religion with you. God doesn't want to walk in ritual with you. Now, am I saying those things are bad? There are some religious rituals and traditions that are very helpful, and their design was to teach us about God because we are short-memoried people. <laughs> So the church throughout history put together these traditions and these holidays and these things like Advent so we could at least annually revisit the reality of what God's done so that we would teach us, so that we would learn. So these things are not without value. However, those things without relationship are always going to fall short. So what do I mean by this? Well, let me read to you what Mary said when God showed up in her life. 
And this is a, a famous part of Scripture. But I, let's go through this together. The verses will be on the screen. This is how Mary responded to, to God in her life, to being filled with the Holy Spirit and having Jesus in, within her. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Think about that. Her life had just been upended. Her reputation had just been destroyed. No one's ever going to look at Mary with a non-judgmental eye the rest of her life. She's not going to get the wedding that she wanted. And her response is, my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice. He took notice. God isn't ruining your life. He's noticing your life. He's seeing you. He took notice of a lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Notice how Mary could see beyond her life that would know shame and judgment. And she could see that from now on, once this job was done, she was going to be honored forever. She could see beyond her own lifetime. (laughs) Excuse me. For the, the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me, for me, not to me. You see, God's not doing things to you. He's doing things for you. (coughs) Excuse me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. This is Mary's response to God wrecking her life. This is how she got from I had a plan, God has a plan, to I'm okay with God's plan. Because God's plan for my life is more important and more and better thought out than my plan for my life. Why does God do this? Because God wants a relationship with you that's based in real righteousness on what's really right, not just rules. I love the story of Jesus, man. I love all the stories about Jesus. One of the things I really love is every time he would just walk into a synagogue on the Sabbath... And ruin everybody's expectation of what God's supposed to be. He would go in there and he would do things that no one else could do. And out of their jealousy, they would criticize and condemn him for it. Because they couldn't do it. But he could. Why did he do that? Because God God did introduce some rules. The Ten Commandments. There's 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible. Just far less than the rules of my HOA, but nonetheless, we won't talk about that. God introduced these rules. Why? Well, Paul said these rules are like a schoolmaster to keep us safe until we meet Jesus. Until we meet, we are reconnected with our Father. So are there rules? Sure, there are rules. What's their purpose? To save you? No, no. They're to keep you from destroying yourself until God saves you. But when God saves you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
When you turn to Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins and you declare Jesus as Lord of your life and you stop being your own God, now you move from a place of rules, religion, and ritual into a place of relationship. And that's what the Father wants. The Father doesn't want to stand up in heaven and just say, let you do what I say and just do it and don't ask questions. No, he wants to walk in relationship with you just like he did Adam in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember the story of the Garden of Eden? God would show up and he would walk with Adam and they would hang out. Can you imagine just hanging out with God? Do you know who else hung out with God? Jesus. Jesus had this relationship with God that was a relationship so infused with love that it birthed power. He loved God. He loved God so much that he loved the things God loved. And what were the things that God loved? People. Ridiculous, annoying, dumb people. Jesus loved them. Listen, are there people in your life you have a hard time loving? Yeah, look spiritual all you want. Just hold that face right there. We all have those people. Jesus loves those people just as much as he loves you. The people who annoy you, the people who are dingbats, the people who don't think like you, have a different political view of you, have a different financial view from you. God, Jesus looks at all those people and he loves them just as uniquely, specifically, and entirely as he loves you. And the closer you get to your father, for your father God, the more the love of God for these people begins to infuse your life. That's how Jesus loved people. He didn't love people because he says, hey, I'm cool, I'm compassionate, I'm going to love everybody. He loved people because he spent so much time with the father, he could not help but be like him. And that's the relationship God wants to have with you. A relationship where you love God so much, that you love Jesus so much, That your love for everything else in life looks like hate. Yeah, that's what Jesus said, by the way. I'm just paraphrasing Jesus on that one. And what I'm I'm not saying hate your family, hate those people. No, love God so much that the love of God comes through you so completely that you love all those folks. That's the kind of relationship God wants. God wants to walk with you. He wants a a conversational relationship with you. He wants a a relationship with you where where you're hearing what he says, and he's hearing the cries of your heart as well. Do you realize this was impossible before Jesus was born, before Jesus died and resurrected? This kind of relationship with God was impossible. Do you realize no one prayed to God pre-Jesus, before Jesus, and talked about God as their Father? No one prayed, our Father, which art in heaven. I'm here to tell you that the faith we live because of the story of Christmas is the faith that came to us through Jesus, and it is a miracle all by itself. It is a miracle all by itself. So when I talk about being okay with God... I'm asking you, are you okay to let God be God in your life? But are you okay also walking in an actual relationship with God? I think it's fun. I think it's fun. I think it's terrifying, but I think it's fun. And that story that I told you, just a brief snippet of it really. In 2000, April of 2000, we were driving across Kansas. We had lost... Two leaf spring pens in Kansas City, Missouri. I was driving through Kansas City, Missouri. What the leaf spring pens do is they hold the axle to your leaf springs, and when they come out, the axle twists. 
So I was going down, uh, going down Interstate 70, and my front wheels were four feet over from my rear wheels. It looked like I was taking a turn. We got to Kansas City, start, stopped in a mall parking lot and fixed the leaf pens and headed down the road. Going across Kansas, we're, we're pulling a little trailer. I didn't know that you weren't supposed to just put it in drive and, and roll down the road. And so my transmission starts blowing smoke halfway across Kansas. Well, about Cody, Kansas. And I'm coming across and I'm like, hey, hey, <laughs> I'm doing what you said. What's going on? He says, fix your transmission, keep going. So we pulled over, had our transmission worked on, rolled across the country. We, we were pulling into Otis, Colorado. We had five kids at the time, and three of them started throwing up on the city limits of Otis, Colorado. It was a bar fest in the suburban. Just ruined your lunch, I hope. You're welcome. My wife gets out of the car. We go into the house that we were renting and trying to buy, and she goes, what is going on? The little church, the little core group that had wanted us to be there had joined us that night and they prayed over us. And it was the beginning of an amazing ministry that the enemy fought every step of the way. Was it scary? You betcha. Would I do it again? I'm not sure I have the nerve to try that one again. <laughs> not sure. But it was fun. We saw hundreds of people come to faith in Otis, Colorado. Saw more people come to faith than lived in the town because kids would come in for the kids' things we would do. We started another church in Akron, Colorado, and we helped churches all over the Northeastern Plains. And you won't believe this or not, but the reason I'm in Rock Springs today is because I went to Colorado. I would have never even known this place existed if God hadn't put me. God moved me here in two steps. I couldn't have found it any other way. Wyoming doesn't exist in the rest of the country, as you've well heard. I'm telling you that because, yeah, saying yes to God and being okay with God is hard. It can be challenging. I'm looking across this room right now, and I see people in situations that they are saying, okay, God, and they're hard, and they're not fair, and the situation is not okay. God is okay. And they know they'll be sustained. And they know that the Father's plan is going to accomplish more than they could ever dream. I see lives in this room right now who live this, what I'm talking about. This isn't rocket science super Christianity. This is just normal walking with Jesus. So I just want to challenge you. The Christmas story is full of upsets. An older couple who had their retirement years in view... And now they're going to raise a wild man. Can you imagine raising John the Baptist? <laughs> Stop drowning the dog! <laughs> None of his friends would get in water fights with him. <laughs> He's wearing leather around. I'm sorry, I better stop. We've got to move on. Joseph, who probably just wanted a normal life. He probably didn't have the idea of being um, an outlaw because he spent his adult life running away from somebody. He, he had to go pay taxes. Then he had to run away from Herod and spend some time in Egypt. And then he comes back and has to hide out. And I mean, it just, that was not the plan. But he was, thank God he was okay with the plan. Thank God that the, 
NazarethCarpenter.com became Joseph the Handyman on the Road. Thank God. And Mary. And Mary. Teenage girl. I don't know how old exactly. Had her dreams of a life, probably just a normal life like anybody else. And here God says, listen, you're going to bring my son into the world and no one's going to understand. No one's going to believe you. No one. And what does she say? I am blessed and highly favored. God has noticed me. Maybe the trial you're in isn't God being mad at you because he can't be mad at you. He put all that on Jesus. Maybe it's God noticing you. Maybe it's God finding you and elevating you. And maybe what right now is making you low is how God is going to catapult you to new heights. Can you be okay with God changing your plans this Christmas? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Your words are precious to us. I thank you so much for recording the stories of these men and women in just their raw reality. I thank you, Lord, for the journey of my own life, and I I know that I am not done. And yes, there are challenges ahead of me personally that I am not excited about. But Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, we will be okay. And I pray that for this room. Lord, I don't know what the next few weeks are going to bring for the lives in this house. I pray that you give us the grace to be okay with what God's doing in the midst of those things. That God is working out what the enemy's planned for evil. God is working out good. I pray that we'd be okay. I pray that we'd be a people who have a God who are not our own God. I pray that you would teach us to walk humbly before you and to walk in relationship with you. Please help us to pray more, to listen to your spirit and your word more. I pray, Lord God, that we'd walk in the new wine and the fresh oil of your spirit and we would not try and drag our faith on things that were handed to us that we don't even understand from our past. I pray that this Christmas that this body, this community in Rock Springs of faith would be okay. And they would let God be God and that we would follow you into the next adventure, whatever that may be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together. If I can pray with you, I'll be on your left.